Welcome to the Why Relationships Matter podcast, powered by Goody Nation, where conversations with founders, experts, and organizations show how leveraging networks creates deep relationships that lead to revenue, funding, better CEOs, and big impact. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we have our next guest here, um, Chad Womack from UNCF. In for those asking or thinking, um, we think we're related, but we haven't proven it yet. Um, but I will say that Chad, we and I have had some a lot of great conversations over the years. Um, I feel like we think a lot, and so I think I, we definitely are related just because of the way that that we think. And he is. And he'll let you and he, and he will explain his background to you as, as a PhD is much more intelligent than I am. Um, and so I feel I feel like it's an honor for him to take a, some some time out of his busy day. Before I do this, I, want, I, I think I first met Chad. I think I'd heard about him before, but I first met him back in I think it was 20. Was it I think 2013 um, yeah. when you were doing I think the Silicon Valley initiative with UNCF out at, out at Facebook. Right. And so. Uh, through a relationship um, for our, our actually uh, one of our first partners actually to launch Goody Nation, um, black founders and, and Nina and even Hadia got into that event. Actually, I'll, here's the thing. He, at the end of the day, and he can tell you about what it is, but actually they were, they were, they were bringing together all the, the black college presidents or most of them for a meeting at Facebook to meet like Sheryl Sandberg, and stuff like that. So this is for like black college leadership at Facebook HU. I just happened to be out in the Bay Area during that time frame, and I got into the events. I'm sitting there, literally eating lunch next to Cheryl Sandberg, and like she's literally right right next to me. And then these black college presidents. And so that's when I first met first met Chad again. Relationship got me in the door, and I don't know why I was there, but it's turned into a lot of great stuff, at least for me over the years. So, so, so Chad, before we get into the meet the conversation and this, as we transition from talking about tech training programs at the K-12 level, mm -hmm. tech training programs at the college level, particularly for black, black college students. Um, Chad, you want to give a quick overview of your, of your background and, and who you work for, what you've been doing and stuff, and stuff like that? Sure. First, it's an honor to be here, Joey. Thank you uh, for inviting me. Happy to share uh, the virtual stage with such an august group of panelists and uh, folks doing great things. Um, I should say we definitely are related because we have the same beard. <laughs> Mine's a little grayer than yours, but um, yeah, definitely. Um, and over the years, it really has been an absolutely wonderful uh, relationship with you and your colleagues at Goody Nation. Uh, we've been uh, a big fan of the work that you do. And uh, like events like this, for instance, I think are just phenomenal. And so thank you uh, for uh, continuing to do the work that you do. Um, yeah, so I am the uh, senior director for uh, STEM programs and initiatives. I operate at a national level uh, within UNCF. I work with my colleagues uh, on the development side to engage companies uh, to help um, connect the dots between uh, companies and ecosystems with HBCUs. Um, like you, I'm a proud HBCU grad, uh, graduated from Morehouse College and from Morehouse School of Medicine uh, way back when. I won't mention the decade or era, but let's say it was a few decades ago. Um, but it was um, very important to me that I work within uh, my community to help build those bridges and relationships between our historically black colleges and university campuses and tech ecosystems like Silicon Valley. And to your point, uh, Joey, and I'm sure the, the points of the panelists that have been talking about this, uh, it really is about relationships. Relationships are the catalysts that help drive our initiatives and our programs. Uh, it is what I call the uh, the dark matter of the universe. Sometimes you can't see it, but it's there. And it's uh, what holds things together and allows us to do the work that we do. So happy to represent uh, UNCF and uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here. 
So that's an, another great quotable is relationships are the dark matter. I love it. I love it. This will go on a tweet, on a t-shirt or something like that. So let's talk about, you know, as it relates to training up the next generation of, of black tech leaders, you know, what are just some of your, just your general thoughts on, on that, how you go about it, how you think about making it happen, how you think about making relationships happen and why yeah. it's important. Yeah. So the frame uh, in which, I do my thinking around uh, increasing and enhancing the value proposition of historically black colleges and universities, our faculty, and most importantly, our students is really around outcomes and how our students um, uh, can basically uh, either uh, be more competitive for jobs uh, and or be uh, competitive as job creators. I mean, those are the two outcomes ultimately that uh, we're looking at. And those aren't mutually exclusive. So, you know, we, we don't want to uh, preclude those who are seeking jobs to um, not be able to also think about becoming founders. And I think a lot of the work that you've done uh, with Goody Nation and your colleagues have proven that uh, there's a lot of entrepreneurial aspiration out there. And that's a great thing. Uh, one of the things that became clear to me in working with stakeholders in Silicon Valley over the years is that they underestimate uh, the entrepreneurial aspiration, but then overestimate uh, whether our students really have not knowledge content per se, but know-how. It is one thing to have a great idea and to have a lot of, what we say, perspiration and aspiration uh, and inspiration but that is not a sufficient cause to get to um, where they need to be to be successful as founders. And nobody, let's be clear, nobody's born with that know-how. And so what we've done over the years is really to work with um, folks at Stanford University, Columbia, MIT, and other places, even Georgia Tech, uh, who have been doing this kind of work for some time to help glean perhaps best practices from them and curate those best practices from a cultural standpoint uh, to help us to implement programs and initiatives that would work with African-Americans and with HBCU students. Eventually all roads, I always like to say all roads eventually lead through Rome and Jerusalem, uh, you know, but how you get to Rome or Jerusalem matters. And that's a matter of cultural perspective um, I think there's been some interesting back and forth over the years as to why uh, there's not been a lot of um, startups to come off of HBCU campuses. I think that has nothing to do with uh, the entrepreneurial aspirations of HBCU students or black students, even at predominantly white schools. I think it has everything to do with the fact that most of us don't come from family backgrounds uh, where we can tap into uh, personal or family networks for capital, whether it's startup capital or just entrepreneurial know-how. So a lot of us are, you know, basically trying to uh, carve out a, or, or hatch, hack our way through a pathway with no help and no mentorship and so forth. So I want to tip my hat to some folks that I'm connected with and Joe, you've, you've been connected with over the years, like Hadia Mujid, who's been running HBCU VC for some time. Hadia's program, I think, is phenomenal. She's connected with Black students at HBCUs to help train them and educate them about how do you think about becoming an investor? How do you think about funding and, and supporting startups? Um, I want to tip my hat to Ania Williams and her colleagues at Black and Brown Founders, doing a great job of providing entrepreneurial education and training uh, for, for Black founders and, and uh, supporting Black women. Uh, there have been some, some great uh, examples of other uh, accelerators like the Big Accelerator uh, run by Catherine Finney and uh, Digital Undivided. Um, I've actually attended a lot of their programs, phenomenal uh, programs. And so I think, you know, there are, there are others um, that uh, leaders, leaders that have been really tilling the soil and working with students, working with Black entrepreneurs to help them uh, chart their own course and their pathways to success. So I think these are the kinds of um, activities that we want to tap into as well. Um, and of course, uh, the work that you've been doing with Goody Nation and some of the things you've been doing over the years has been uh, providing 
leadership that's much needed and shining a light on some some pathways for success for entrepreneurs. Nice, right. So can you um and yeah, and all those individuals are are, are awesome. Um, all of them are awesome. I look forward to working with a number of them moving forward. Um, let's talk a little bit about that Silicon Valley initiative. And I want, then I want to loop back to those entrepreneur support programs. Can sure. you talk a little bit more about, about that Silicon Valley initiative? Sure. Back in 2012, uh, before I landed inside the UNCF, I was working with the White House uh, in, in the Obama administration. And specifically with the Office of Science and Technology Policy, Obama had hired uh, Todd Park, I think his name was, was the first chief technology officer out of Silicon Valley uh, to head up that office to focus on a few things. One of them was an initiative called Tech Inclusion. And it was interesting because at the time, uh, Jesse Jackson had sort of pressed Apple to open up um, its um, uh, data and information around uh, the EEOC, uh, you know, whether it was uh, really do doing a good job of hiring Black employees and diversifying its tech workforce. And thanks to Reverend Jackson's efforts, it really created um, an avalanche of tech companies uh, disclosing uh, their information for the first time. That, and when we looked at the data, it, it confirmed what we suspected all along that the percentages of African-Americans on the tech side of the uh, workforce in these companies in the Valley was very low. So Obama internally had pressed on this issue uh, through uh, the Office of Science and Technology Policy through that initiative and had assembled a group of folks, including the Cape Port Center and others, um, to really think outside the box about new initiatives. So I happened to be in the room. I raised my hand being the, the you know, proud Morehouse and HBCU alum. I said, look, you know, at some point, if you're going to have a tech inclusion initiative, you got you to gotta involve HBCUs. There's, there's no way around it. Not that, you know, everything has to go through HBCUs, but certainly you can't exclude HBCUs from the conversation. And so basically the White House responded and, you know, they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, you know, it's, uh, if you can't bring Moses to the mountain, maybe bring the mountain to Moses. So I, I said, let's, let's get all the HBCUs together and let's go out to the Valley. And, and Joey, that, that meeting at Facebook where Sheryl Sandberg was, uh, you were sitting next to her, actually was a result of mm. that initiative, the Tech Inclusion Initiative. And so I landed inside the UNCF, grandfathered the, the, uh, the initiative into the UNCF, reached out to um, the Association of Public and Land Grant Universities, Thurgood Marshall and the White House HBCU office to come out together in force to say to the Valley that we're here, we exist. Black folks are uh, just as capable as anybody else. Our institutions produce talent that up to, the, up to that point really had not been recognized. And so that meeting at Facebook and Google was also involved from day one was critical because what we were able to do for the first time is to showcase uh, the fact that uh, African-American leadership, HBCU leadership was at the table. So it was critical that those HBCU presidents that you saw were in the room because for the first time, they saw what, what the inside of a major tech company looked like. And Sheryl Sandberg herself stood up and said, look, we wanna hire your students, uh, but here's the deal. Here's where we think there are some gaps in the curriculum and computer science. Here are the things that we're looking for. Now, some of that, to be honest and keep it real 100, some of that was disingenuous, right? Uh, because uh, black students are just as bright as any other students. And we have students that are majoring in computer science, computer engineering, math, and other things that are phenomenal. They're doing great things. Um, they're at the cutting edge as anybody else, and they're still being overlooked and underestimated. So some of that was disingenuous, but we played the game. Um, so this is one advice from uh, Gen X to the millennial, uh, play the game. Get into the game and play it. Uh, don't stand on the outside of the game and complain. Um, I, it doesn't work. Get into the game so that you have leverage and equity in the discussion so that you can then turn around to folks like a Sheryl Sandberg and say, all right, you said we don't have talent. Here they are right here. Here are our campuses. You come to us and tell us what you're looking for. We'll ha we're happy to provide that. But you guys got to follow through. You guys, meaning the tech companies, got to follow through and step up your game so that we can meet in the middle and have much greater deal flow. On the other side of this conversation was the, the venture capital industry. Again, I wanna tip my hat to folks like Hadia and others who've been doing this work uh, for a long time. 
to say to the VC world, hey, look, just like you're underestimating African-Americans on the tech workforce side, so are you underestimating on the tech entrepreneurial side. Catherine Finney's group, Digital Undivided, I think did a report uh, called uh, Project Diane, I think it's called. It may be on their, their website still, where they looked carefully at the data. What was the data saying with regards to black tech entrepreneurs actually able to get the kinds of investments that other startups were getting. And what they found was what we suspected that it was not really uh, all that much, even though pound for pound, those startups and tech entrepreneurs who happened to be African-American and many times happened to be black women were not given the opportunity to get the kinds of investment capital that they need to accelerate their startups in, into the next level. So at the end of the day, uh, we have said to the Valley and to other tech ecosystems that we're here, uh, we have value, uh, we are worthy of support on the tech entrepreneurial side, we're worthy of being employed in these companies, and we're also worthy of leading and driving in uh, tech industry verticals uh, that, that are going to transform uh, the economy. Things like AI and ML, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, uh, cybersecurity, those are the areas that are going to be driving uh, the industry in the future. And we have bright minds and capabilities just like any other community that uh, has been underestimated. So let, let's, um, so you, you did touch on some of the, like, so, so Kavanzel, uh asked about, um, you know, the opposition you, you, you know, you, you saw in Silicon Valley, you think you touched on that. There is a question from, from Koasan, our, our, our good friend, and chat around, you know, re relating this back to our previous conversation around K-12 STEM education, like what is the importance of HBCUs supporting K-12 STEM education efforts? I think it's absolutely essential that HBCUs be at the forefront of transforming K-12. It is what we used to do. Uh, when we walked off plantations at the end of the Civil War, we had a problem that we had to solve. And that was how are we gonna educate former slaves and the families and the communities? How are we going to integrate or create space in which we could survive and succeed and thrive in a society that was ultimately and still is hostile to our presence? Education has to be at the center of that. HBCUs were the refuge the educational refuge for the black community for decades. We didn't have any other options. It was on HBCU campuses that we had these things called normal schools. So I wanna go back in time and history. You know, HBCUs weren't just higher ed institutions. They were the source of all the education that African-Americans could get at a time when we didn't have access to anything else. Well, where are we now today in 2020? When we look across the national landscape and we ask the question, where are black folks being educated and how are they doing? I would have to say that our public school systems are a disaster. They're a disaster. They're not preparing our kids for our future. You, you walk around any public school district talking about computer science for African-American kids and with some notable exceptions, they don't know what you're talking about. They can't even spell STEM, the S-T-E or the M. And yet it's the very thing. It's the lifeblood of our future. If we don't get to some fundamental understanding about why it's critical that our kids be in environment, positive learning environments where they understand that at some fundamental level, Y equals MX plus B, we're gonna be lost because it's not like the world's gonna stop spinning and try to wait for us to catch up to it. No, it is our, I think it's our sacred responsibility and obligation as well-educated black folks who happen to attend historically black colleges, which are the last institutional repository of who we are as a people to be involved in this conversation at the K-12 level. These are our kids. We should care about them more than anybody else. So as we think about the work that we have to do to repair and restore K-12 education, which clearly is needed. Um, it's tremendous work and we're gonna need leverage from our HBCUs to reach into K-12 and say, look, there's a better way 
And we've got to get to that better way to support the educational development of our children. They are our future. Without, without them, we, we will be nowhere. Right. No, that's that's powerful. That's powerful. Oh, that's powerful. I'll get, get excited now. Um, getting my second injury. Now, so we actually have a pair of Andreas in, in, in the audience, Andrea Wright, Andrea Miller, that are, that are at the I think that the, the K-12 you know, level. So relationships matter because now we can connect chat. You talk about all the Silicon Valley initiatives, um, things that, that they're working on and then connecting with the uh, uh, injury with, with more other black college presidents and people that work at that level and then connect all the way down to the K-12 level. Like we can do this right now, right? And so this is why, yeah. this is why our relationships matter. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, to, to Andrea Miller and others like her who are, in my opinion, doing, doing the Lord's work, who are struggling inside of these dysfunctional systems to bring positive learning environments for our kids. I've seen it firsthand. Look, you know, both my parents were educators. They were teachers. And guess where they went to school? The first HBCU, Cheney, founded in 1837 in the city of Philadelphia, where I grew up. I grew up surrounded by black teachers I, to, to the point where I didn't even know there was another profession. They were all graduates and alum of Cheney State Teachers College, now Cheney University. But that's the truth for most of our community, at least my generation, where we grew up surrounded by black educators who cared about kids, cared about the community. Well, a lot of these people like Andrea and others and their colleagues are still there in the system, but they're struggling. They're struggling in an environment that's dysfunctional and in some cases corrupt. So school district of Philadelphia had a $3.2 billion budget. Where's that money going? Why is the STEM yield for Philadelphia at 1% or less for black folks? You mean to tell me we can't produce more than 1% who are ready to move on to higher ed and succeed in a STEM major? That's a problem. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be accepting that. We should be holding leadership, these school boards, these superintendents, these principals, feet to the fire. You only get one childhood. Right. You get the rest of your life to be an adult. <laughs> so we should be doing everything we can to make sure that our kids have every opportunity and love them courageously, challenge them to be the best they can be, love them up and hold them up, but lift up the best practices so that we can get to better options and outcomes for our kids. Uh, that's, yeah, preach. Oh, yes. I love it. I love it, Chad. I, I know I know we're at time. I don't know if you have any additional moment. Yeah, we, we have other guys coming on, but we truly appreciate this. If you look at the, at the chat, I mean, there's some, there's some great comments there. Um, super, super, super appreciative of it. Um, thank you, Jennifer, um, for the donation. We are over our 4,000 mark. We're almost, we're almost home to our goal of $5,000 for the day. Um, but Chad, thank you, thank you. So I don't know if anybody, I don't, if you have additional time, Chad, feel free to hang out or, you know, as we have our next set of guests coming up. But, um, but yeah, truly, this is uh, this is true. I don't know if anybody has any other questions or anything like that. Um, Casey, uh, Antoine, Raquel, Kathleen, any, anybody anybody else. But uh, you know, this is, this is super important and this is why relationships matter. We make connections at the, at the college level. You know, I, uh, if you have, Chad, if you have, you have a few more minutes. I have a few more minutes and I just put my email address in the chat. Uh, I, I, I welcome these conversations. Uh, this is something that you can tell I'm very passionate about. Uh, it matters to me and um, I'm happy to work with uh, folks to try to get to a, a better uh, scenario for our kids. So please, by all means, chad.womack at uncf.org. Feel free to send me an email if there's a way that I can be helpful. Um, I'm already working with folks in Atlanta, Co and uh, Joey Yu and, and folks like Andrea Miller in the Atlanta Public Schools. And I, I, I want to give a shout out to uh, colleagues in the APS. You know, it's been a great pleasure working with them. There's some really wonderful people in Atlanta public schools doing great things, struggling against the odds. Uh, they need help and support. Uh, the kids, you know, have been just wonderful to work with. So I don't want to paint this bleak or dark picture completely. It's not. Um, but we do need to, to um, do a better job of, of connecting with uh, schools and school systems uh, to help them and help us. HBCUs, by the way, you know, the output of K-12 is the input of higher ed. So HBCUs themselves, it's in their best interest uh, to get involved and be supportive 
uh, these kinds of initiatives so that they can tap the talent to come to their campuses because it is the competition. If you're a high achieving African-American student in high school, you're gonna have a lot of options and HBCUs are just one of them. You're gonna have the Harvards and the Georgia Techs and the MITs and the Stanfords coming after you, right? So we've got to, on the HBCU side, be able to offer them a competitive option, uh, which I think we can do. I answered that question in the affirmative, but we've got to get involved and get into the game so that black students, uh, you know, by the time they're freshmen or sophomore in high school are thinking about HBCUs as the next step where they want to go. Nice, 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 nice. Chad has been great. We got to have you back for another discussion. We didn't get a chance to go into um, the lack of entrepreneur support programs at the college level for, for black college students. So we can, let's, let's schedule like an hour session in, in sometime in the future and, and have one on that. That's a whole Joey, anytime, you, anytime you call me, I'll, I'll answer. You know that. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. So from, from speaking of, of, of black colleges and one, you know, you know, HBCU graduate to another, we got, we got two brothers here that are, that are just as passionate as, as Chad is about making the world a better place. One of those individuals graduated from the best college in the land, Florida A&M University. Um, the other one, you know, he went to a good school, North Carolina. It's, it's, it's I had good. to chime in on that one. Just that, that, I, mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you. I did that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now let's have a conversation. Again, still, we're still in the education lane on the importance of civic engagement, right? And so I want Greg to talk about the, the, the grass tops and the grassroots, right? Let's talk about you know, the importance of civic education as it relates, civic engagement, excuse me, as it relates to education on, on the K-12 side. So before we get to kind of get into that, um, Greg and then Horace, can you give um, everyone just an idea of your background and, and, and how you got to where you're working on right now? And so, uh, Joy, thank you for sharing the platform, man. So my, my background has been mostly in, in government, local government, uh, and working in the civic space. And, and I'm one of those folks, guys, that believes that, like Joey mentioned, all engagement starts at the grassroots and grass top level, uh, and then it works from there. And so when you talk about building relationships uh, in the civic space, from faith-based leaders to folks in education, all the way up to elected officials, I've had the uh, great privilege of working in this ecosystem, not just in Atlanta, but across the country for folks that are getting the work done. And so I'm excited to uh, join the Empower team and, and, and get the work done with folks like ours. And so, you know, right. man. And we're excited to have people like Greg. So, uh, you know, uh, Horace Williams running Powered Apps, uh, you know, kind of got here as a byproduct of, I've been in technology space, particularly user experience across enterprise products and data for, man, 20 years, aging myself. Uh, but came from a background, uh, New York City, father was a lobbyist for 40 years and worked in political space, uh, you know, as a kid. Hear about that stuff, you don't care about it, resonated with me later in life and realized just how important it was and how when he took that pill, he couldn't walk away from it. And, you know, now I'm an addict, right? And I think that hopefully, you know, when people engage, Greg and I, you know, they become you know, addicts for, for impact as well. Because once you learn that you can have an impact, it's really hard to walk away from it. So, you know, that's a short spiel, but ultimately we're, we're here to just, you know, talk about, you know, civic engagement and, and, and the school system. And, and make it inviting. You know, as yeah. Forrest mentioned, man, you know, a lot of people get intimidated by, you know, the opportunities to make real change uh, and even more intimidated when they run into barriers around creative thoughts and innovative ideas and that happens across the board in the civic space. And so you just gotta be diligent and willing to put the work in to build those relationships, just like other industries, uh, to make ideas really go uh, and get the sustainable resources to make things happen. Um, Greg, can I, can I um, go in a little bit on that? I mean, wh why is it the case? Why are they afraid? Why are, they, why are, why are some of these barriers there? I, I think it goes back to relationships. You know, some of the, the best ways in which we operate are when we know people through the best and the worst of times. You know, part of what I've been able to do, and I've been very fortunate to do, Joey and, and folks on, uh, it's been to build those relationships, not with just school board members or elected officials or superintendent, you know, high brass folks in, in those offices, but also with teachers and counselors, the folks that are driving 
uh, the STEM-based curriculums, the folks that are looking and begging for entrepreneurs and innovators in the space, getting to know them semester after semester, them becoming relying upon your expertise. I mean, even for Horace and I's connection, when you think of, yep. shout out to Andy over at South Atlanta High School <laughs> in Atlanta Public Schools, yes. who's been a friend of this platform, to, to the Goody Nation platform, uh, we, we come individually from our own spaces talking about civic engagement, right, to the students and to the folks that are listening in the space. But if not for our relationship with folks on the, on the ground, level, then you, you just don't get the information that you need in order to not just be impactful, but the ability to go into corporate spaces and other opportunities to be very transparent about what's needed and necessary through the classroom experience, not just talking at a very high level. Nice, 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 nice. So yes, yeah, so let's, let's dig into it. I mean, let's let's talk about empowered. Let's talk about civic engagement, you know, and why it's important for, for education. So uh, one thing I'll say, and this will be a good segue into this because there's another piece of what Greg just mentioned that I remember talking about uh, in Arizona. I went to speak to Urban uh, League Young Professionals out there. And I remember a young lady asked me once, she said, uh, so a lot of people are aware of how or the idea of what it is to be engaged, right? But they still don't really act on it. Like they have a high level understanding of it, but something's not pushing them. Or like, instead of talking to, you know, a legislator and elected leader directly, you know, they, 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 you know, they might go out and march, which is fine. You know what I mean? But, you know, it requires follow-up. It requires detail and diligence. And I told her, I said, you know, it reminds me of when I was in school. And I remember people who, when I, whenever I was prepared for a test, which, which wasn't often, because I didn't do very well in high school, but I was more prepared in college. But, but when, I, when I was prepared, I learned that you had a confidence coming into the classroom. Right. You came in, your pencil, you was in class five minutes early if you knew you was going to get 100 on that test. Mm. Right. Mm. But what happens if you weren't confident? You acted up, you made a lot of noise. Right. My, my, my Jamaican professor called empty vessels. Right. And like, you know, drop, make a lot of noise, don't got nothing in them. Right. For all y'all needed further definition. <laughs> but uh, but ultimately, what happens is, is that um, I told her, I said, that's what it is. I said, it's a lot easier to get online and yell at people because it doesn't require you to have any in-depth knowledge or understanding or anything else along those lines that holds you accountable, similar to that if you had a one-on-one -on -one conversation that could actually get something done, mm. right? Like if you walk into the room with a city council member, if you don't know nothing about city council members or anything else, you know that they at least at minimum understand their job. And if you don't understand their job, it's not a worldwide worthwhile discussion for either of you. So this is how, you know, when I think about empowered in its inception, it's the ideology that kind of, you know, baked it up from the beginning. It was about first informing people, right? How do we educate people in almost like a calculator-like fashion, right? Where, you know, everybody's not a mathematician, but everybody can get on their phone and press one plus one equals two, right? And I was like, how do we bring that into technological forum and make it that simple and adhere to what people are accustomed to today. Because if you look at every aspect of people's lives, it's almost all been heavily streamed, streamlined, maybe 10, 100 fold over the last 10 years, except for impactful civic engagement, mm. political engagement. Part of it is because it's a very hands-on, it's a very personal piece. It's, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's done in a way that is you know, organic and real because these are real problems. And when you have to solve real problems, you have to approach it as such. And, and, and here's the also thing about Empowered One. When you look at technology, having the opportunity to stand at that intersection with a city council person, with a state representative, with a school board member, and also partnering with organizations, connecting them by causes. If you're passionate about you know, homelessness, folks experiencing homelessness, if you're passionate about uh, you know, maternal health, if you're passionate about, you know, other things that are happening in your ecosystem, the opportunity to connect directly with people in that space, contact people directly there. And whether you're look, looking to volunteer, to donate, to, to be a, a stronger advocate in that space, the ability to do that through technology. It, it's really where a lot of the political heightened awareness intersects with folks that say, you know, I want to be a part of the solution. I want to be a part of the process. And how do I activate what it is that I'm passionate about? Without technology like Empowered, man, we, we're, we're losing a lot of that interest 
to folks that will otherwise be engaged and bringing the barriers down to people to connect. I mean, we talk about the information being available. Yeah. Two clicks, one click, you can contact your elected representative based off of where you are. Or, you know, two clicks, one click, you can connect directly with an organization around you that is leaning in just like you're leaning in. And so these synergies, to take a tag word from what you always talk about, Joey, this ecosystem, building that in the civic space gives us more and more energy to be empowered to do what we need to do. Absolutely. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Let's talk about the education. I mean, how, how do we, so drilling down the education in the K-12 space, have you all seen any examples of, 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 of relationships being impactful in that space, or it could be the opposite. Maybe you've seen oppor- you see opportunities to actually make connections um, for increased engagement, which ultimately will impact our kids. So I would say that not only have we seen, seen it, we facilitated it, which is why I'm laughing in my head. And, and it's interesting because let me, let me explain something that's really, that's, that's something that most people may not think about. One is, is that many schools off the bat already have some kind of inherent student government or student government process, right? Like when, you know, when I was in college, our SGA, you know, the young kids, they got, you know, class president, things along those lines, right? And connecting that to their local political landscape, Mm. there's a couple of things. One is it incubates young people into being engaged citizens because it doesn't distance something they're already participating in from the realities of the society that we live in, right? So that's one piece. The other thing is the de-celebritization of elected officials. Mm. They are public Mm. servants, okay? And the way that you get into that, particularly when we're in a landscape where billions of dollars are being spent on campaigns, you know, that creates a mental block in terms of who it is you're dealing with, right? And when we bring them into the kids young, like we, we, we did this, I don't know if Andre is on or not, but we went to South Atlanta High School and we had the school board member for that, that area come in and engage not just the teachers, but the students. Because as public servants, as people who are responsible uh, for ensuring the educational equity of our young people at those ages, Children need to, I mean, young people need to still be able to have the same access mm. to them. And literally change the conversation. A hundred percent. hundred percent. That's big. And, and so even for people in industry that say, all right, well, how do I be like Greg and Horace, right? So there are these different gateway opportunities when it comes to what we talk about in the civic space, but you know, signing up for career days, you know, gateway opportunities to go in, talk to students and connect with people first without, you know, going in and pitching your idea, right? Building these relationships with different clusters and different folks. What I've found in working with a lot of entrepreneurs and brilliant people like Horace is that once you get into that space, it's what teachers, it's what counselors have been begging for, for industry, especially in cities like Atlanta for decades. And so the opportunity to sustain those conversations, I mean, we're leading in that space, but there, there's so much room for folks to come in and serve on boards. You know, I'm a member of my GO team in my area. And so there, there are these different opportunities to just add insight from industry that yields itself to all the conversations and frustrations that people might have in our space. When we look at the TV or we look at the paper and say, we're not doing enough in the K through 12 space, there are these gateway opportunities and we want to, as Empowered, help folks in industry, anybody that's listening or, or watching or donating. I see folks need to donate too, right? Donate to the, I see it. Yeah, that ticket need to hit. That ticket need to hit. Hit the ticket, right? But, but for folks that say, look, I need help with doing this, hit us up. I mean, it is what, it's, it's what we are in the space for in order to relieve those barriers make it easier through trusted relationships and have the technology to make things go too. And you I mean, know, that, oh, continue. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, and you know, folks like, I mean, I see Casey, I think it's the first time I was like seeing like a Shout video Casey, on that. But you know, uh, Casey would tell you, you know, we, 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 we eat our own dog food as they say, like, you know what I mean? Like we, we you know, we, we support, like we encourage support. 
And in addition to that, you know, I look at her as an example with the uh, 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 with the uh, empowering youth. Hey, uh, hey, hey, empowering youth. Hey, yeah. yeah, hey, empowering you. Shout out to the water boys as well. Hundred percent. I looked at their model, and, and, and I don't know if she even would call it a model, right? But I looked at the process that they went through with that, and I watched it as a, as, a, as as someone inspired by her work, and I saw that they got to a point where she first, you know took the kids and then brought them into a place to inform and educate them. But then the next tier of that, because you're talking about a group of children that might rest outside of the school system, mm -hmm. right? And their education is just as important, which is why the organization support is heavy, which is why this ticket need to keep going up. Because what happens is, is that, what was the next step? You paid attention to that. The crazy piece was, is that the more people got involved, it turned from an educational issue into a policy issue. Mm -hmm. I saw her had in boys at City Hall, lobbying for their right to be entrepreneurs in this city, which is no different from anybody else out here trying to hustle it. And people is a million times worse than what them boys is trying to do to feed their families. And when you cross that threshold, when you start talking about policy, it gives you another opportunity to educate people about process. And so for them to want to engage things at City Hall, understanding the rhythm in which they meet, Mm -hmm. understanding committee meetings. If you want to you know, impact a state issue, knowing when session starts, the legislative session starts and ends, yep. knowing when crossover day is, knowing when you need to introduce certain things based on fiscal year conversations. It's this whole world of process that you can start to talk about when people say, oh, you know what? I've got to impact policy, you know, or I've got to impact these procedures. And you know, civic engagement is the answer for all of that, man. You know, and, and without people getting civically engaged and getting active, and us as leaders telling people in this cadence and this rhythm that these are the things that we need to be doing and, and these are the people we need to be connected with, you know, we're missing great opportunities. So it's 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 an awesome space. It's great. Yep. Man, this is this is super powerful, right? So 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 even drawing back to the previous conversation with, with Chad and even with Stacey, imagine. To, to your point, imagine a scenario where the class president, the senior class president, junior class, sophomore class, freshman class, presidents, all those type of individuals are involved in tech. And thank, thank you, Jennifer, for the donation. They're involved in tech. They've been engaged in the tech programming, either at either within the school or outside. And so then when they when they get engaged through the Empower platform, they get connected to a city council person or the mayor or some other person, that's when, because they're already engaged in tech, they start to make, you know, eventually like, like requests for, for, for tech programming and more funding and all kinds of things that happen. And so I think that's how we can kind of change, um, not only the narrative, but we can change policy and impact more lives. Joey, you have just described everything that is what Empowered's mission is standing for that we will explicitly showcase next week <laughs> once we get the final final new version of this application out. And I'm gonna explain why. Um, civic engagement is the segue to political influence, okay? Um, when you and I first, I'm not when we first met, but you know, kind of in the early stages of our relationship, you know, one of the things that, you know, I asked you to do, which you obliged, was to have uh, your vendors at a lobbying event at the Capitol uh, that Darshan was putting on, which was teaching Black folks about policy, right? And, you know, that was a byproduct of, of you being a nonprofit because it enabled us to bring you into that space, right? The other part of it is this. Um, when I think about Goody Nation, one, uh, you're going to be in, in our app as a nonprofit partner. You don't know that, but, but I'm telling you now. He is. And, and, and so, so, and, was, so I was one of the founding board members for Goody Nation. Shout out to the, oh, yeah, to the sure. tech industry. That was way <laughs> younger days, man. I didn't have gray hair. So you but, will be, though. Official. And, and the reason is, is because of what you just said. Someone's going to go on our app and they're going to choose causes and interests that they have. And they're not going to think about policy. They're not going to think about civic engagement. They're not going to think about community activism, but they're going to say I'm an engineer. They're going to say I'm a technology person. They're going to say I'm a designer. And then we're going to say, oh, you're an engineer that lives in Atlanta. You should support, work with, volunteer for yep. Goody Nation. Yep. Right. And then what that does is it provides an experience for them 
to then get involved in a capacity that's contextual to things they care about. And that's how they jumpstart the process of being engaged. Most people that are, that's been in the space for years that are heavily political, sometimes I think even they forget how they got started. Mm. Mm. Because I don't, and I particularly saw that during campaign season when we tell people what to do, but we don't give people the platform and the knowledge and the understanding that help people get to the space that they are currently in. And you know what's dope about that, Horace? We, as leaders, we can't discount how courage comes into play for other people. You know what I mean? Like, like this, just being a strong leader, you're giving other people courage to mm. step in and stand out and doing other things by telling your story. Exactly. That was yeah. a new thought, man. Go, go ahead. Go nah, ahead. but I mean, he's right though. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and the thing <laughs> is, is that, you know, I, and, and in your engagements, even this conversation we're having now, even, you know, uh, you know, all the other pieces, there are pieces, I mean, I've been in city hall. I mean, and I've been in, I've been in the Capitol personally, I've lobbied for educational research around HBCU funding. Hmm. I've personally helped lobby around, um, you know, uh, 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 you know, getting uh, kids in school more resources that they need, right? And when you're talking about creating those connections, people forget politicians, elected officials, public servants, they need the constituency by their size to help them get things done. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to, as a teacher or as a parent, or even as a student, make something happen for your school, you know, or, 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 or the quality of your education or the equity of resources for your school district. That is a political matter. Mm. That is something that needs to be addressed at the, even at the ordinance level. Sometimes it's a byproduct, not of the law, but how the law is executed, you know, or how it is, uh, you know, uh, addressed or how funds are allocated budget wise at the local level. Sometimes it's a piece of state legislation because it's a much bigger issue that might disenfranchise people just because of a simple clause and piece of legislation that, you know, disassociates folks that should have the same opportunities as others. But all of this is tied to building those relationships and understanding clearly that these folks work for you. And the last thing I'll say is this, this is where context builds uh, impactful voting engagement because there is no clarity on who to vote for, like the clarity of an elected official that did not help you get something done that you needed done. Mm. Okay. If you ever want to know how mm. quickly I get through the booth, it's like playing whack-a-mole. <laughs> and it's because I know through my engagements in my neighborhood, who's getting ish, ish done with that, with, you know, but, and who ain't, you know, and I know who helps other people through coalition and who doesn't. And the more informed we're on that, the more fluid and the more impactful and the more like when people say, I never feel my vote count is because they don't have the context of understanding how the person that's in office actually impacts them in the first place. Mm-hmm. So that all comes full circle, the civic engagement, you know, the political engagement, the voter engagement. And, and empowers willing to stand at that intersection, Joey, man, and make sure that not only is good tech involved in it, in the way that we get things done going forward in an innovative way, but there's this responsibility associated with that. I tell Horace all the time that when you bring people together and start to have these conversations, whether they're from small business, big business, faith-based community, been rumbling, tumbling in the streets for decades, or they've been only, you know, active for a few years, right? There's this opportunity and responsibility there where folks that stand at these intersections have to say, look, we've got to converse and build relationships stronger with each other in order to make sure this work gets done. And you can disagree about policy, you can disagree about procedure, but you can't substitute knowing someone or not knowing someone in the ecosystem when it comes to the work that's necessary and organizations at the table that we've got to continue to build relationships with. That's real. That's real. I mean, you know, this is how we move forward as a society. This is how, you know, we also, you know, move forward as it relates to our kids. Totally. Man, this, this is also, again, um, 
Casey, Kathleen, Raquel, if you have any questions or if you're if you're watching, if you have any questions, please drop them in chat. Um, you know, awesome to master class in here and public engagement, voter engagement, community engagement, all kind of engagement, especially as it relates to specific matters and even even as it relates to education. Anybody anybody have any questions or, or Casey? Any so there's a great question in the chat currently. Yep, I was gonna actually mention that one, Antoine. <laughs> um, so, well, two things. One, I definitely wanna get to the question. Um, it says, what is your perspective on the need for mental health services um, in the schools other than the one school counselor that is sometimes shared between a couple of schools? And I think even just tying that into the conversation that we have to try to keep us you know, on track because we do have a mental health segment later this evening from seven to eight. Um, you know, can we talk about how technology can really make uh, mental health resources more accessible to uh, young people, right? There are some great apps that are out there. Um, but in addition to that, uh, the question I had and just kind of tying them together, it sounds like there needs to be a redesign of education period, right? Um, as we just kind of tie in everything that we've talked about from this morning, doing school per usual isn't working. So as we talk about um, enabling our young people and our students to be more tech focused, whether they're working behind the scenes, developing these technological applications and websites and algorithms, or being the end user, we know the technology has to find its way in education to the forefront a bit more. Um, but in addition to that, the civic engagement piece, this networking, this relationship building piece, Students don't learn that when they go into side of classroom. So your thoughts around how can technology um, really help redesign education? And then also any thoughts that you have on how technology um, may be able to be utilized to help provide more mental health resources to students. Now, now mine is going to be super probably controversial. So I'll let Horace go first. So yeah, <laughs> mine will be less controversial, but we're going to try anyway. So the first thing is, is that when it comes to mental health services in particular, um, and Empowered is, is, is similar in this way, but it's a little different in, in some ways, but still similar. I think that, and this is me personally, my opinion in 275 gets you on the model. Uh, but the thing <laughs> is, is that technology should serve as a facilitator of connections between people. It should not replace people, okay? So when you're talking about providing services to people, I think that we have to be very careful about these, you know, the, the, the automation and the modularization and the, you know, over streamlining of, of, of digital services that provide mental health support for our young people. Um, I think that they are very serious and in depth issues. And, you know, I think that technology, similar to how Empower works, even if you think of like a meetup.com or something like that. It should work to connect the right people with the right people. But those conversations, even in the COVID era, could happen like this. But like, you know, I know we, we the text message folks, so like it's, it's different. But I don't think, I believe in, maybe it shows my age, but I think that that is, you know, a, a, you know, a key piece. Then as far as in the schools, I will say this. When I was in high school, you know, because I was so hard, horribly prepared for classes all the time, uh, we had a counselor who was not a mental health counselor, but just a counselor. And I went to a school called Xavier in New York that was statistically 6% black. Every kid in every year that I was my friend failed out and went to a neighboring school called LaSalle, right? So all my friends were in LaSalle because I was the last one that made it. I barely made it, failed four classes, had an intervention, long story, another, another conference call. But my, conf my counselor uh, was too much of an end all be all because what they did was is they spoke to your capability as a byproduct of what they were reading around your performance in class, you know, from that of your teacher. But what they don't get into is all of the extenuating circumstances that impact your performance, particularly with our young folks coming out of all neighborhoods. It could be anything from the trauma around being out of a dangerous neighborhood mm -hmm. or the trauma of being one of 6% black people in a school full of white kids that right don't on. understand why black history money exists. Right on. Right? So the thing is, is that you have to have people focused on both what and how you execute as a student, but then also how you think as a human. 
and your emotional capacity around that. So I think that when you look at it, particularly from a political standpoint, and you talk about those resources, because that's what it comes down to. It comes down to the parents demanding it, the teachers accepting it, leveraging those parents as co-advocates, and then demanding those resources from the people that represent their board, and if not, having some real great context on who to vote for next election, mm -hmm. okay? Now that's that process. If you wanna, if you wanna wizard around how to get ish done, that's it. Now the other side of it is, is that, you know, we just have to, we have to understand the need, right? We just gotta make and sure. That, and, and, and Greg, you pick up there. That's. I mean, we've got to come to grips, especially when it when we talk about the mm -hmm. ecosystem in Atlanta. Uh, we've got to understand that civic engagement is a full context sport, you know, and we in our neighborhoods and our communities, Casey, you know this very well, we just can't continue to drive by our learning centers with our opinions. We've got to get involved. We've got to, I know during COVID, you know, you can't just pull up to a school, but we can't just take all of our intellectual capital, all of our resources and continue to just drive by our elementary and middle and high schools and get down to the city and then complain about it, right? We've got to make sure that people understand that civic engagement is full contact. And, and when I go into schools and build relationships with folks and have conversations, we all know the need is there, but without folks being willing to serve in certain capacities, and I'm not blaming industry or blaming outside stakeholders, I'm just saying that the gap there is just so large and the need is just so great that we've got to be able to slow down, build these relationships where folks are in our learning centers, our schools, uh, and then go from there because the, the, like I said, the gaps are there, the need is there. And when it comes to resources, not just around social emotional health, but not just when it comes to equity, not just when it comes to uh, mental health and awareness, uh, resources for even you know clothes, resources for food, right? All of the things that are there, Atlanta has all the things in our ecosystem, right, Joey, that we need in order to be successful. That's, that's the tagline, everything's here. We just can't be driving around with them in our head and, and in our budget coffers in order to make real impact and change. And that's why I think the technology, like Horace means, said, means that it's easier for us to connect, but your passion is going to drive you through those channels. Your passion is going to drive you through the bureaucratic stuff mm -hmm. that you do not want to deal with because a bureaucrat just doesn't understand what it is that you're trying to do to shorten the bridge from industry to a student's learning experience and everything in between. You, we've got to be willing to stick it out. We've got to be willing to uh, build those relationships and we've got to be willing to talk about outcomes and responsibility of that. You know, when I talk to Horace all the time, we, we talk about the weight of the responsibility around bringing people together at that yeah. intersection. And sometimes it's all red lights, <laughs> you know? And we've got to have the patience to say, look, it's going to be green over here. Everybody else may be yellow, right? But we, we got to be traffic cops and making sure that if we're standing too far in that intersection, we're going to get hit, right? Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. we've got to be able to pick ourselves up, dust each other off, right? Yeah. Horace, you know, when I found him, he was kind of getting up. You know, and I yeah. say, pick yourself up, man. Yep. Dust yourself off. Rough These cars got to get through here, man. <laughs> yeah. So there's kids in those cars, let them through, right? And so we, we just got to make sure that we're we're toughing the things out because all of those outcomes that we know are possible, it's not going to be easy. The challenges that our neighborhoods and families at, at the core of them when it comes to equity, it, it's totally challenging. We're, we're fighting against other stereotypes and other things that are dragging us down. But what I know for sure, is that the people that are watching, the people that are tuned in, folks like you, Casey, that have great organizations uh, that, that are willing and leaning in to do the work. Uh, you need more volunteers. You need more donations. There's an opportunity for people to tune in, plug in, and, and get creative around what that commitment looks like. And I want to add one small thing what Greg said, because it's important, particularly around the passion side. Because I remember uh, Mark Cuban one time said, you know, uh, something about, um, the things that you're passionate about. Actually, I don't think that was a good correlated statement. So screw Mark Cuban. But I think that <laughs> the key thing was, is that if you're passionate about something in particular, it serves as a good launching pad for, you know, how you continue to navigate down that path. When we look at Empowered and what we're trying to do, you know, there are people who are, that care so much about mental health, 
that they're willing to fight all the fights to get to where they need to get. They just need the direction. They just need to know that they can fight for it in the first place, right? Like that's a big battle. You know, there's a lot of people that don't even know that they can fight for something that they have the will to fight for, right? Like I have, you know, we worked with Partnership for Southern Equity last year and they represent people who are fighting to lower their energy prices by lobbying our public service commissioners who represent the utilities for us as a state in our who the Georgia powers and the water company, all those have to engage with regards to how they price us as a constituency. But whoever woke up in their life thinking that they had a fight against energy prices, right? I know I didn't think about it that way, but you have to contextualize it. You know what I mean? You have to think about it in that regard. Like it, it might be that, you know, Uber makes a ton of money and by getting their drivers out here and, and picking up folks and everything else. So when it's time for them to be able to make it so they can make more money in a local region, they tell their drivers, hey, lobby for us because if you do, you'll make more money as a driver. It's contextual to their lifestyle and it creates the passion that enables them to execute when they see those red lights at that intersection and keep going. So I think that that passion piece is important because it's not, you know, civic engagement is not easy. Not if you want to have an impact. Full contact. And I'm you right. have to be there and you got to be in it and you can't sugarcoat it. But we can help guide it, inform it, and align you with a path towards getting started that already correlates with the life that you live today. And that is kind of the first step that I look at and bring in that all full circle. Gems, gems. Civic engagement is a full contact sport. One of probably 38 gems you've dropped in the last 20 some odd. The, the, the ticker moved as well, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I truly oh, appreciate It only moved when Horace was talking, man. Right. So, hey, hey, we, we, we love it. We, we love it. <laughs> love it. Adrian, Derek, Kurt, Christina, you know, Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you a ton. Raquel, thank you a ton. David Lightburn recently. Yes. Thank you. We're, 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 we're ticking up there. We're ticking up there. Appreciate it. Man, Horace, Greg, this has been an amazing conversation. Amazing conversation on the, on the power of, of civic engagement. And so, I, so, so I'm going to take a, a, quick, a quick recap. I'm tying really like the last hour and a half. So you think a scenario where, you know, as, as, as said, going back to 11 a.m. With, with, with Stacey Lynch, where you take someone who's running a K-12, let's say in this case, education or tech training program, who have experienced a little bit at the, at the growth phase, right? They can take a, a startup organization like a code house and turn it into this mentor-mentee relationship. Both those organizations, appreciate you, Casey, uh, uh, Casey, both those organizations do better, right? They end up helping more kids at the K-12 level get into tech, right? One of those kids, a few of those kids go in and they, and they start to become class presidents and, and vice presidents and so on and so forth. Through a platform like Empower, they get connected to the local council person, yeah. right? They start to push for policy. And then going back to what Chad from UNCF was saying, the HPCUs are engaged in the process as well. And so now that 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 the student that participates in, in a code house program or a next generation men and women, um, they are not on they're, they're pushing for change from a policy standpoint, not only for the K-12 perspective, but also for HBCUs. So this is a this is how we create ecosystem, and this is all because of relationships, right? Not no, not hundred percent. We know that hundred percent. But what you just said, Joey, is that you have to tell that narrative over and over mm -hmm. and over again. That narrative has to be on the billboard. It has to be visually depicted on screen. It has to be in the paper. It has to be in the periodicals. Like that narrative over and over again has to be told. And so that's the beauty in, in what you just said, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, now we got to get these storytellers into the mix. Yeah. And helping to tell this, this narrative. I mean, I, I'm sure it's already, it's definitely already help, happening. So, you know, Horace, Greg, thank you for, for your, for your work. I mean, Horace joined our program a year and change ago. Yeah, man. Uh, the Great, first, program. Great program. Um, and, and, I, and I'll say this um, as they go, I mean, it's been working his butt off this year um, and it's really, 
<clears throat> I know I know the work is never done in, in the civic space. Um, but really kind of crescendo with the last, you know, with the recent presidential election. So lots of hard work. You know, I know you're partisan, but lots of hard work. And you want to say publicly that, that we appreciate you, man, for the hard work and, you, and stuff appreciate like that. Everybody so. in the ecosystem. Nobody does it alone. That's kind of the whole point of it, you know. Yep, 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 yep. So thanks, thanks for your time. We'll uh, we'll, we'll circle back, um, and uh, yeah, create more more relationships that, that, that matter on civic engagement. Do it, alright, guys. Thank you for tuning in to the Wild Relationships Matter podcast by Goody Nation. We hope you enjoyed it. If you were inspired, if you want to make a difference, if you want to close the relationship gap, please follow us at Goody Nation on all social media channels or log on to our website, goodynation.org. Peace.